Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. More and more scientists think carbon capture is key to reducing CO2 emissions globally. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. That's the unexpected energy of ExxonMobil. Here's our timeline this afternoon. Earlier this morning, Falcons coach Dan Quinn says wide receiver Julio Jones and defensive tackle Grady Jarrett are at the Falcons facility before mandatory minicamp begins tomorrow. Neither player was at the voluntary offseason activities. At 11 a.m., our own Adam Schefter says Eagle safety Malcolm Jenkins has reported for his team physical and will be there as well as the team opens minicamp tomorrow. He also did not attend OTAs. Ahead on NFL Live, 49ers tight end George Kittle joins us. He'll explain what makes a complete NFL tight end, and he gives us a scouting report on the return of Jimmy Garoppolo. And as Patrick Mahomes prepares his second season as the Chiefs' starting quarterback, a look at the people and places who helped shape the NFL MVP. Mahomes and the Chiefs, one of 23 teams that begin mandatory minicamp tomorrow. As you can see there, 23 teams will be working through the end of the week before the offseason truly begins. We're happy to have you with us on this Monday edition of NFL Live. Hello, everybody. I'm Wendy Nix with Field Yates, Damian Woody, and Victor Cruz. We are going to start with some quarterback camp questions, if you will. We'll take a look at some of the more pressing questions around the league. We know it's a quarterback-driven league, so we'll start with this. Cam Newton will throw for the first time in drills since undergoing off-season shoulder surgery. Field, what else can you tell us? This is a very good first sign for Cam Newton, Wendy. He was going to take place in the quarterback drills, perhaps a little bit more than that, but we know the Panthers have been confident that Cam Newton was on the right path and that he is going to be ready for the start of the regular season. Of course, you'd love to get as many reps as possible during the offseason, but when you're 30-plus years old like Cam Newton is, his health is more important than just a few extra reps with mostly familiar targets. I mentioned him earlier, but Jimmy Garoppolo limited during OTAs. He is recovering from the knee injury. What are the expectations, Damian, for a healthy Garoppolo in 2019? Well, that's the big thing. You know, barring injury, I expect Jimmy Garoppolo to have a huge, huge year. And you all you have to look at is supporting cast of, of Jimmy G. You have Marquise Goodwin, who's one of the fastest players in the National Football League, can t- take the top off the defense. You had Debo Samuels, rookie coming in. George Kittle, who had a record-breaking year at the tight end position, and then the three-headed monster in the backfield. Well, we'll stay with the injury theme and the quarterbacks as well. Andrew Luck dealing with a low-grade half strain this offseason, but a far cry from where he was this time last year, Vic. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not worried about this as much. I think Andrew Luck understands his body, understands what it takes to be in tip-top shape. He'll have some time here, uh, obviously, after minicamp to have some rest and get that calf all the way back to 100%. But I think Andrew Luck will be there at the start of the season, ready to go, firing on all cylinders. We have seen a number of quarterbacks reset the market, get large, longer-term deals. But then we see Phillip Riversfield 
He'll play the final year of his deal. Where does this stand? At least as of right now, Wendy. A lot of time, and oftentimes teams do negotiations on extensions during the six weeks that are about to follow us as we get ready for training camp. And keep in mind that Ben Roethlisberger recently signed a two-year, $68 million extension with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Wouldn't be surprised if Phillip Rivers is in line for a deal comparable to that. Of course, those two drafted the same exact year. And other than Super Bowls, their career arcs have been very, very similar. Nick Foles has his own team. It is not in Philly. Instead, it's in Jacksonville. Damian, will he replicate the kind of success we saw with the Eagles? Well, I mean, that's the question that remains to be seen. He has such a synergy with, with head coach uh, Peterson. But the real question is, who's, who's playing the tight end position? That's the one area that he had with, in Philadelphia with Zach Ertz. That was his, his, his reliable target. They don't have that in Jacksonville. They have a bunch of other wide receivers, but that's something that's going we need to we need to watch in Jacksonville. Here we go, here we go, here we go, Field. What will Cliff Kingsbury's offense look like with the young rookie Kyler Murray? Modern, and more than that, Wendy, will take advantage of the skills of the players that it has at its disposal. It will not be like last year where it felt archaic and it felt like they were wasting the talents of guys like David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald. But there's plenty of more speed in the wide receiver group. And, of course, Kyler Murray, you have a player that the minute he becomes an NFL NFL quarterback in a game is one of the most dynamic dual-threat players in the NFL. A lot more excitement in the desert this year. Lamar Jackson enters his first minicamp as the Ravens' starting quarterback. What will this offense look like, Victor, after an entire offseason with the ones? I think it'll look a little different. Obviously, Lamar Jackson understands the only knock on him is can he throw from the pocket, but it's good for his teammates to hear his voice, hear him in the huddle, get familiar with his voice so they can get on the same page. But the only question mark for me is can he throw consistently all year long from the pocket? We know he can run. We know he can do all these things like we're seeing right now. It's a matter of being consistent in the pocket, getting the ball down to his receivers. Raven Thunder Steve Bashadi told season ticket holders this on May 30th. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that Lamar is not going to be running 20 times a game. He led quarterbacks in carries and rush yards last season. That's all well and good, Field, but it begs the question, have the Ravens done enough? They put enough pieces around Lamar Jackson to put him in a, a, a position to succeed. So think about the pieces they added this offseason, and specifically the emphasis on speed, led by Marquise Hollywood Brown, their first-round pick. And we can talk about the player acquisitions and how they've got a solid tight end group and a running back group that's got some new pieces, including Mark Ingram. I think the most important part that they added this offseason was the promotion of Greg Roman, mm-hmm. two offensive coordinator. He previously had helped them out in the running game, but Greg Roman... You might remember, previously served as the offensive coordinator during the apex of the 49ers' run with Colin Kaepernick as their quarterback. Now, Kaepernick's first season under Roman was not particularly electric as a thrower, but he was a dynamic runner. He eventually grew as a thrower, and that is what the Ravens need to see out of Lamar Jackson right now. It's finding the throws that fit his skill set and comfort level, and then finding ways to continue to toe the line of not running every single play, but running him enough to keep the defense more than honest. It keeps him scared and fearful because he's just that fast on the open field. Well, I think the biggest thing for Lamar Jackson is all these defensive coordinators, trust me, are breaking down the film from last year. They're breaking down Greg Roman and some of the schemes that he, he, was, he implemented. Um, so the question is, what, how are they going to adapt from here? What are they going to do now? How are they going to be able to advance Lamar Jackson to the next level? Because all the running is all well and good. Mm-hmm. 
But at the end of the day, in order to win and win big in the NFL, you have to win. You have to play from within the pocket. It's no secret anymore either. I mean, we, we speculated what he would look like coming out of the draft. Now they've had a chance. They've had a first run to see what Lamar Jackson can do. So he won't sneak up on anybody. I mentioned this before, but Dan Quinn says, yes, you'll have Julio Jones and Grady Jarrett at mandatory minicamp, despite the fact that they're less than pleased with their contractual situation. But what about Field the Devion Clowney who has been franchised? Yeah, he, like Grady Jarrett has also been franchised. The difference is that Jarrett already signed his tender, Wendy, which puts him under contract and means that if he had skipped minicamp, he would have been fined up to $88,000 by the team. Clowney has not signed that tender. He wants a long-term contract. And as we know, the Texans might have a different view, given that on Friday they fired their general manager, Brian Gain. He wants a new deal to this point. The Texans have not been able to find that middle ground with Clowney, who probably will be paid at or near the top of the pass rushing market. But don't be surprised if he is not there throughout this minicamp because, as we mentioned, you don't sign that tender, there's nothing they can do financially to prohibit him or prevent him or penalize him for skipping out. Do you understand the trepidation on the part of the Texans? Because I think there clearly is some, Damian, in terms of giving him a longer-term deal. Yeah, I mean, listen, he came in, he had the whole microfracture surgery, which is a risky deal. Um, on his knee, so I'm sure there's some trepidation as far as that's concerned. But I will say this. One thing we've seen from Jadavion Clowney is we've seen him starting to come come alive in the pass rushing situation. This is a guy who's who's been who's very gifted. He's a very gifted athlete. He's played the run very well. And we saw from the Houston Texans last year, they kind of used him as a, a Swiss Army knife. They lined him up everywhere where they felt like they could create you know a mismatch. And he's responded well with a heck of a year last year. I think he's got to play the waiting game. I think exactly what you said, having a a defensive lineman that's able to play across that D-line and be effective and get to the quarterback and get there timely uh, during times where they need him to put pressure on the quarterback, he's done that thus far. Obviously, he came in with the micro fracture, but I think right now he's got to play the waiting game. Ball's in his court. Obviously, they got some front office issues they have to clear up, but he's definitely going to get paid, whether it's by the Houston Texans remains to be seen. While Clowney only had nine sacks last season, he was still wreaking havoc on opposing offensive lines. According to ESPN's pass rushing metrics powered by NFL Next Gen Stats, Clowney beat his block by two and a half seconds on 35% of pass rushes last season. That is good enough to rank third in the NFL. And there were no days off. 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 Go Pats! <laughs> it really never gets old, does it? But guess what? That was amazing. The Patriots have a few days off, according to our own Mike Reese, who is Always in the know, the team said, you know what, we're done with minicamp early, no more OTAs. It canceled the final two, and that means they will not be back on the practice field until training camp begins in late July. So whatever they needed to accomplish, according to Bill B., they must have gotten it done, Damien. But this is very unpatriot-like, if you will. You know, actually, Wendy, it's happened quite a bit. You yes. Know, yes, it's happened quite efficient. a bit. Efficient. Maybe and, they're and, more and efficient. And Phil can attest to this. I mean, there were times, you know, when I was there where we had something as simple as, you know, line up an offensive lineman, myself, and then the punter would kick it, catch it. All right, we're out of here. We're, we're done. Or he just, can't, just wouldn't have practices because it was team building, you know, activities. So, 
I understand, you know, Bill with the whole no days off and, you know, the parade and everything, but they've had days off they, before. <laughs> Did you catch the punt, Woody? Did you catch the punt? Of course. I'm, come on, man. <laughs> I actually got, I was there. I, I was there, and the whole they? place erupted. Yeah, I got really? to okay, say. Okay, okay. No, that's what's up. They weren't all together confident. I'm going to say, they were not all together confident. That's what I'm not going to lie. But he got it done. He's got bear claws. He got it done. He's hands. These palms? No, it's also a reflection. The Patriots, I know this much, feel as though they had a very productive spring. And this team has a roster that was pushed to the limit last year when you play the Super Bowl, that's part of the reality is, you know, their offseason is long, but it's shorter than a lot of other teams. Basically, every other team each year, there is a lot of mental toughness and a lot of mental wherewithal that goes into making it all the way to the Super Bowl. So I understand some people might say, it's two extra days of practice. Is it really that much difference? Well, for Bill Belichick and his staff, it might be. This might be a reward, a reflection of, you guys have put in the work, let's spend a couple of days together and do some things off the field that can help us bring Bring I guess bring us together. Last year, I'll tell you this, they felt like that was about as close-knit of a group as they've had over the past 20 years. Was it the most talented? Probably not. But they had this resolve collectively that allowed them to play their best in critical moments, notably the playoffs last year. Well, yeah, and you clearly can't argue with the results. They got the job done, mm-hmm. to say the least. All right, a few days off then. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry Bill. Well, the Jets have agreed to terms with Joe Douglas. He will be the team's next GM. He had been The Eagles' vice president of player personnel, he had been considered the favorite for the job, having previous work experience with Jets coach Adam Gase, who had been serving, by the way, as the interim GM since New York fired GM Mike McCagnan last month. This was a tweet from Adam Schefter on Friday after the news. Jets simply would not take no as an answer from Joe Douglas. He tried to turn down the Jets, and each time he did, they came back at him harder and harder. Jets simply were not going to be denied in their efforts to land the formal Eagles vice president of player personnel. Douglas was with the Eagles the previous three seasons as the director of player personnel, helping construct the roster that won Super Bowl 52. He spent one year in Chicago as the Bears director of college scouting, but the bulk of his NFL experience came in Baltimore, where he spent 16 years in their personnel department in various scouting roles. <clears throat> All right, Damian, you got your finger on the pulse of the Jets, <laughs> I, 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 if, as if anyone does, but uh, what's been the reaction to this decision? Oh, it's been glorious with, with the fans. Glorious? Fan yeah, okay. absolutely. I mean, if you ask any Jet fans to a, to a T, they would, number one, they would say that Mike McCagney didn't deserve to be the GM. And looking forward, the problem with the Jets has always been, for, for the longest time, it's been like the shotgun marriage, where they had a GM, but the coach wasn't married together. Now they, they finally have it figured out where Joe Douglas, who has, a, you know, who has a relationship with Adam Gase with their time in Chicago, now they feel like they're connected, both front office and coach. And they'll be able to build a roster together, unlike in past years with the Jets, where it just, it just wasn't that way. So... Jet fans are ecstatic with this move. And just on a side note, I actually played against Joe Douglas in high school. Oh, he, he, went to, he, yeah, he, he was a hell of an offensive lineman. He actually played oh, he at, a, my, at my rival high school. So wow. a little bit of a little, okay. little nugget there for you, Wendy. All right. Thanks. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't see that one coming. Next level. And, you know, clearly no two people, uh, regardless if they're aligned professionally, are going to agree on everything. But you do need to philosophically agree. And for the most part, be on the same page. And that clearly wasn't the case prior to this decision. You confident that that will 
help move this organization in the right direction? I think so. I think, obviously, first things first, you need to have cohesion in your front office. You need to have people that are excited to work with one another and excited to work with their respective football teams. And I think it's something to be said for the Jets that he tried to turn the job down, and they're like, nah, we need you. <laughs> nah, we need you. He tried mm-hmm. to turn it down numerous times, and that goes to show about his pedigree and what, you know, what he's built for his own career within the NFL and what the Jets need or what they, what they knew they needed in a GM, and that's what Joe Douglas brought to the table. And now I think it's going to be a perfect marriage for them, and we'll see how it transpires throughout the season. They spent big in free agency this offseason, so there are some contracts that might in a couple of years look a little bit prohibitive, but the Jets have a couple of the key ingredients. They've got a young quarterback. Right. they still got a relatively flush cap space situation going forward. Joe Douglas is going to be a draft and develop GM like most are when they are hired, but this team has laid the foundation. Now it's up to the development of Sam Darnold and some other key players but right now is a good day for the New York Jets. We want to turn now to our Jets reporter, Rich Samini, from our studio in New York. And, Rich, why was Douglas clearly the Jets' top choice as the general manager? Wendy, Douglas was the, uh, the simple answer is he was their top choice because he was Adam Gase's top choice. Adam wields a lot of power in the organization, even though he's been around for only five months. And he was, Douglas was his hand-picked guy. He wanted a general manager he could feel comfortable with, someone he could work with. And he obviously didn't have that comfort level with Mike McCagnin. As you alluded to earlier, they worked together for a year together in Chicago. And people tell me they maintained the relationship, talking a lot over the phone over the last couple of years. Look, for the Jets, this is, this is a departure. Their last two GM head coach arrangements were completely arranged marriages. Guys were literally meeting each other for the first time. Four years ago, Mike McCagnin picked up Todd Bowles at the airport and introduced himself and basically said, hey, Todd, I'm your new GM. Uh, that didn't work. So this time they have the background, they have the familiarity, and that's a good foundation. And so the work begins. What will be Douglas's first order of business now as the Jets GM? Well, he's got to bring in his cabinet, so to speak. He's got to bring in his lieutenants. And I think the first order of business will be hiring a vice president of player personnel. There's some people mentioned with this uh, job opening. I talked to our own Todd McShay on Saturday. Todd told me that Joe is considering a number of options, and he is one of the options. So that'll be really interesting. Of course, Todd has a great background in player evaluation. Phil Savage, a former GM with the Browns, a guy who was with Joe Douglas in Baltimore in the early 2000s. He, too, was getting some consideration for this position. But really, that's the first order of business. And also, watching practice and seeing this team Four practices this week. Joe Douglas will be there seeing his team for the first time in person. And the Jets will officially introduce their new GM at a press conference tomorrow afternoon. Rich, thank you. On the same day the Jets named their new GM, the Texans fired theirs. Brian Gain, after only one season, CEO Cal <coughs> McNair released the following statement. We have decided to relieve Brian Gain of his duties as general manager. While the timing may be unusual, this decision was made in the best interest of the organization in our quest to build a championship team. Field, the Texans went 11-5. and They won the AFC South in his <clears> only <throat> yep. season. Why this decision? I think we have to look backwards before we look forwards here. So Brian Gain was hired 17 months ago by the Texans, but he was not necessarily the top candidate on their wish list. At the time, they tried to interview the recently mentioned Joe Douglas. Nick Casario of the New England Patriots, and Monty Austin, also of the New England Patriots. 
Those three requests were denied because both of those two teams were still playing in the playoffs, eventually meeting in the Super Bowl. They hired Brian Gain from Buffalo, but he was not necessarily, in the same way we were talking about Adam Gase and Mike McCagnan being in an arranged marriage, it was not necessarily that extreme, but this was not necessarily Bill O'Brien's preferred choice. And they recently hired a guy named Jack Easterby, who previously worked with the Patriots. His role with the Texans includes not just player development and, and things of that nature, but also just aligning the organization and making sure that it is running without any hiccups. And it feels as though part of the evaluation probably coincides with Jack's arrival, and it feels as though the Texans decided, we got to the draft, we've gotten through the bulk of free agency, now's our chance to level set. And if we think there's somebody else better out there, whether it's those two aforementioned Patriots candidates, that's what we're going we're to take the chance that we can potentially hire one of them and finally get this right. Bill O'Brien has many years left on his contract. They've got the quarterback in place. They've just got to find that cohesion we were talking about a moment ago with the Jets. Yeah, quick. I, we, we are seeing a trend. Are you, I, it's, a, it's not a fit. It's not a fit. But this one-and-done trend is <laughs> it's hard. Is, is yeah. hard. Yep. It really is. Mom, I think this doll I found in the attic is cursed. No, its eyes are just very lifelike. Then why does its head keep spinning? Be my friend forever. Oh, that is scary. You know what's really scary? Missing out on Geico's easy-to-use mobile app. You can manage your Geico policy whenever, wherever, wherever. Let's play with another doll. Or we can just bury it deep in the ground. Happy Geico-ween. Download the industry-leading Geico app today. All right, more minicamp storylines as 23 teams open three-day mandatory workouts beginning on Tuesday. Field, uh, we'll, we'll stick with pass catchers, all right, as the Saints' Michael Thomas enters 2019 in a contract year. What's next? Yeah, second year, I'm sorry, second round pick, Wendy. So obviously has not made the kind of money that some of the other wide receivers that were drafted in his class have made. But his production has been right up there with the best. Remarkable player and clearly the number one player the Saints need to lock up long term. Big time money coming his way eventually. Victor, any concerns with A.J. Green returning from toe surgery? A little bit of concern, obviously, because he's a receiver, because we need, you know, as receivers, we need our feet. That's what we make our money on. That's where we stop on the dime, which is what he does so, so very well. Um, obviously, he's got this offseason to kind of, you know, get all the way back to full health. I heard he's supposed to be good and back to uh, form once the beginning of training camp starts. But I'm a little worried, but we'll see how he comes out for the season. All right, Damian, he doesn't have to worry about his next Paycheck because we got that worked out. Mm-hmm. But what are the expectations for Carson Wentz in in year four? I think he's going to have a huge year. I, I listen. I think it, listen. All the surrounding talent that Carson Wentz has at his, his disposal, uh, Deshaun Jackson coming over from Tampa Bay, and all the other guys. I, I think plus a chip that he has on his shoulder from Nick Foles leading his team, sure. you know, to a Super Bowl and to the postseason. I think he's ready to show people what he's all about. All right, Field, we talked about Patrick Mahomes a bit earlier. What will this defense look like under Steve Spagnuolo, the new defensive coordinator? Certainly somebody that Victor respects immensely, having previously been the Giants' defensive coordinator. is going to be about pressure up front. The Chiefs didn't have a lack of sacks last year, but it was timely sacks because, as you remember, that AFC Championship game, Tom Brady simply had too much time and space to throw when he needed to throw and make the critical play. One thing we know, you cannot give Tom Brady time and space. This Not if true. you want to win the ball game. That Correct. doesn't work out all that well, usually. 49ers tight end George Kittle had a breakout season in 2018. 1,377 receiving yards, the most by someone in his position. 
He had three catches at at least 70 yards, not only led everyone in the NFL, but also the most by a tight end in a single season in the last 40 years. And he had 855 yards after the catch, which again was tops in the league and the most by any player at any position in a single season since 2006. Happy to have with us this afternoon, George Kettle. And George, you're coming off really what was a record-breaking season. And just an hour or so ago, the team said they believe you can be better this season. Why is that? Um, hey, I mean, you can always be better. That's what football is. You come to work every day to try to get better. Uh, if you're not getting the be- if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. So, uh, just looking forward to being able to get back on the field and you know try to prove that. Whether it's making more plays or uh, you know winning more games. George, you've been described in many circles as a complete tight end. What, in, by your own definition, makes a tight end complete? Um, let's see. I mean, being a tight end, I feel like you need to, you know, affect the game in the run game and the pass game, whether that's pass blocking, whether that's catching the ball, running, scoring, um, or in the run game, setting an edge, getting up to the linebackers. You just got to affect the game at, you know, at all points because uh, you're on the field for almost every single play. So you got to have a big role and a big job. Well, we have to ask you about your quarterback, of course, as he makes his way back from injury. How is Jimmy Garoppolo? How has he looked in this very, very early stage of the game? Jimmy looks great. Um, I mean, he, he's hit his uh, rehab um, you know, since day one that it happened. He's been hitting it super hard, and uh, it's nice to have him back on the field again. You know, uh, he, uh, I think I've said it before, he's you know, one of the best leaders I've ever been around. And uh, just to have that kind of back in the huddle on the field, um, Seeing him make plays again, it's, it's good for us, and uh, you know, I'm just looking forward to it for the season. Kyle Shanahan, understandably so, has his fingerprints all over this offense. What do you think he wants it to look like? What will the 2019 offense look like? Uh, hey, I think we're going to have a lot of fun, and uh, I know he wants us to score a lot of points, a lot more than we did last year. And, um, and we've been working this OTA so far you know, to try to be better at that. And uh, I'm just looking forward to you know, see what Coach Shanahan has up his sleeve because uh, – He's got a lot of tricks and stuff, and uh, I'm just looking forward to those. Tell me about what's going on at Iowa when it comes to tight ends. Obviously, you came out of Iowa, and then this year, for the first time, two first-round tight ends drafted from the same school. What, what, what's going on? Hey, uh, we, we eat a lot of corn up there in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, just that, that's a program. It's a pro-style system. gets guys ready for it. And when you got guys, uh, you know, athletes like Noah and TJ, um, you know, guys that make big plays and they affect the game in the run game and the pass game. And, uh, you know, it's every time they touch the ball, it's an explosive play. So when you got guys like that, it, it makes it pretty easy to try to take them in the first round because they're just, you know, two, heck of, uh, two incredible tight ends. And I'm really looking forward to them, You're watching da- them. You know, your dad, of course, has football ties as well, though. In, in his case, an offensive lineman. Uh, how has he impacted your career, George? Uh, he impacted my career. I'm pretty sure the first time I put shoulder pads on, I was doing run blocking drills. Um, he coached me my entire life in football up until high school. And he used to convince all, like, the fifth graders that uh, being an offensive lineman was the um, best job on the field. And he had, like, uh, little kids um, trying to play offensive lineman over quarterback and running back, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> Um, so that, that's affected my mentality a little bit, but uh, just his love and passion for the game has just kind of carried over into me. And uh, you just, you know, every single play I'm out there, I'm, I'm just having a good time. It's not really, uh, you know, hard for me. I just, I just enjoy it so much. You two, the two of you, you and your dad have a pretty interesting pregame ritual. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, uh, he writes me a letter. Uh, he's been doing it since I started playing in college. Uh, just whether it's uh, you know the team we're playing, advice, um, just tips, 
it's about three to four pages, and I read it on my way to the bus. I mean, on the bus, the way to the stadium every uh, every Sunday or Saturday in college, and just been kind of a tradition that we've uh, set up. And uh, I really look forward to it every single week. It's part of, probably one of my favorite parts of Sundays. So you literally get a letter, and then you read it. Yes. Does it, does it have? Does it talk about the the game itself? Is it about other things? I mean, what's in it? If you don't mind sharing. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, well, in college, when he since he played at Iowa, every game he would talk about like rivalry games. So if we were playing Wisconsin, he would tell us about uh, you know when they played Wisconsin and you know the things that they were doing, um, how it's different now, um, coaches, stuff like that. And then uh, just you know comparing to the teams today. Um, and then in the NFL, since he didn't play, um, he just does a good job. He gives me like a full scouting report, the whole history between the two teams. It's really fun. It's just kind of like five fast facts and. Um, um, but then he, it gets a little bit more personal and, you know, just the, you know, the, the love we share for the game is a big part of the letters and, uh, it's just fun to see that every week. All right. If, if I asked for five fast facts about the 2019 oh. 49ers, could, could you do it? Five fast facts right now. Right now. Can I do like, can I do like three? Fair enough. We'll call it a deal. <laughs> <laughs> five, uh, three fast facts about the Niners. Going to score a lot more points. Uh, do we have uh, we have a bunch of depth in the backfield, and uh, we have a whole bunch of playmakers on the offensive offensive side, and our D line is absolutely incredible. So there's four for you. All right, sold four. That's extra credit, George. We appreciate it. We'll be watching uh, in September. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. The 49ers suffered through some tough injuries on the offensive side of the ball. They missed an entire season with Jarek McKinnon went down in the preseason with a torn ACL. Then it got worse. Jimmy Garoppolo was lost in Game 3. The Niners have the second-worst record in the NFL over the last four seasons, ahead of only the Cleveland Browns. So the question now, they've got a lot of young receivers. They'll get McKinnon back. You hope Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy. He should be back. So what can this offense do? How effective can they be? if healthy and on the field? I think they could be explosive. I think it all relies, obviously, on Jimmy G being healthy and building that rapport with his receiving core. But I think between Marquise Goodwin, obviously the addition of Debo Samuel, and Dante Pettis going into another year after having a pretty good year the year before, um, it's just going to be all on Jimmy G to get the ball to his playmakers, be the guy that they brought him in there to be, lead the charge out there, and I think they can do that. Obviously, they got to keep him protected, that offensive line, because he's a pocket guy. You want to keep him in that pocket and throw that football. Yes, he got some. He can do some things with his legs, but he has to be smart when he gets outside the pocket because we understand we, we need him on the field. The 49ers need him on the football field to be successful, but I like the receiving core that they have. Obviously, Marquise Goodwin being the veteran that ties everything together, but I think they could be pretty explosive this year. I think the one thing... One thing about Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy G is he will take chances with the football, but he is very accurate. And you can see, like, when, when he's in that offense, that offense looks a, totally different as opposed to, you know, C.J. Beathard and, and Nick Mullins. So, obviously, the, the 49ers have done a really good job of acquiring talent. Now it's all about keeping that talent on the football field along with Jimmy G at quarterback. Well, no question. It was almost a lost season. I'm sure they don't yeah. like to term it as such last year, but right from the outset – the, 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 the cards were stacked against him. No question, but that makes this year winning time, right? I mean, you now have the pieces. There are very few excuses right now for the 49ers offensively. Depth in the backfield, outstanding tight end. You guys have been talking about this diverse wide receiver group and a talented quarterback, an offensive line with all five starters signed up for at least the next three seasons. Defensively, there are major considerations that we still have to take into account. But offensively, if they're not a well-oiled machine, there are going to be some question marks about what misfit 
Where do they not yeah. find the right pieces to put in place here in San Francisco? Because it's been three years of hype building up to this season. Well, here's news on one of those pieces. According to our Adam Schefter, 49ers kicker Robbie Gold has not signed his franchise tag. That means he will not be at mandatory minicamp this week. Press coverage again from Shefty. Texans mandatory minicamp will begin Tuesday. That's tomorrow. But as their unsigned franchise player, Jadeveon Clowney is not expected to attend. And, Phil, we talked about this a little bit before. Not a huge surprise, but this this is going to be a stalemate, I think. Not a surprise at all. Really, the question going forward, Wendy, is whoever the Texans tab is their new general manager, what level of interest is that person going to have in signing Jadeveon Clowney long-term? They've got plenty of cap space. Remember, they've got a quarterback on a rookie deal. What's it going to take to make Clowney happy, and will they get this deal done? Probably something around $22 million per year. Well, Jason Witten spent one season in the Monday Night Football booth, but he has since returned. He is now back on the field, reunited with his quarterback, Dak Prescott, for the Dallas Cowboys. And Victor, uh, a lot of questions about how he will help this young team. He's certainly a veteran presence. But they are also expecting him to be able to produce. He's still capable, as we say hello from the film room, brought to you by Verizon. What can he do uh, between the lines? Uh, I think he's going to be, you know, similar to what we've seen before. Obviously, they're going to scale back some of his reps or they keep him fresh. Obviously, he's older. Um, But I think what he does in between those hash marks, you know, he's not the fastest tight end, but he's crafty. He knows how to use that big body to get himself open. And I think Dak Prescott is going to be needing that with the, you know, with Cole Beasley being gone, he needs that safety valve again. And I think Jason Witten can be that. And then obviously as a veteran, as a guy in the locker room, as a guy in the meeting room, yeah, in no the film room, he's going to be, you know, exponential in getting those guys, understanding what it is to be a professional and going about your business the right way each and every day. They also get their center back. And then you've got Amari Cooper, who's now going to have some experience. He gets to to start and and hopefully end a season in Dallas. So what what are the expectations? You know, Wendy, we've all been talking about this Eagles core recently after signing Carson Wentz to that four-year extension, how enviable the nucleus they have. The Cowboys should feel every every bit as good about their nucleus as well. Yes, I think everybody would agree that Carson Wentz is a superior quarterback, but the Cowboys have an outstanding offensive line, a defense that all of a sudden became the talk of the league for the second half of last season, the Cowboys and Eagles probably both should be walking into this year saying, we're the division favorites. We are who the NFC East runs through this season. We should be in the mix to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl next year. It's a lot. I know that this is the time of the year we tend to get carried away with expectations and predictions, but both of these teams have so many of the requisite ingredients to make a deep playoff run. Look, it's the worst-kept secret in the league that this is a uh, – Jason Garrett has to win. I mean, that's true no of any coach win big. in the league. But he's got to win big, and I think that's the distinction here. What does success look like for this – for Jason – I mean, for, for the head coach in particular? How far do they have to go, you think, for his job to be safe? I think they have to have – with this roster that they have right now, especially coming off of what they did a year ago, they have to go, at least make a deep playoff run, if not the Super Bowl. I think they have oh, really? that type wow. of talent on that team, on that roster, and I think – Pressure's on for Jason Garrett a little bit. He's had, you know, a lot of seasons of either not making the playoffs or getting bounced in the first round. He has to understand this is a big deal for him right now. And with this roster, the way they're made up, they have talent almost everywhere across the uh, across the ball at every position. Um, now's the time for the Dallas Cowboys, and now's the time for Jason Garrett. Listen, they win the division last year. They win a playoff game last year. They lose to a team in the Rams that would eventually go on to play in the Super Bowl. And it still wasn't enough to calm questions about Jason Garrett's status going forward. They couldn't even get him an extension. 
You don't often coach the final year of your contract as either a quarterback or as a coach as well. Uh, so keep in mind that uh, the, the Cal- I think Victor's point is well taken. At least a deep playoff run. That's somewhat mm-hmm. subjective, but I would exactly. think multiple wins or a, a top two seed in the NFC. What's the potential Achilles heel here of this team when you look at the roster from top to bottom? Um, I think it's just Dak Prescott. And, you know, oh. how is he going to continue to, you know, mature? How is he going to rally this group together? How is he going to continue to be that leader? It, it all depends on him, at least offensively, to be the guy that they want him to be, to be that leader that they want him to be and lead this talented football team deep into the playoffs. I, I, yeah, I, I think that's fair. Is that mm-hmm. like the thing that takes them, pushes them from good to great is Dak Prescott's play because I, I see a high floor for this team. I really do. There aren't a bunch of colossal needs right now mm-hmm. for the Dallas Cowboys. The biggest question marks are going to be Dak's progression and the extensions for some of these key players. I don't want to say that they just show up and they're going to be fine, Wendy. Nobody is like that in the NFL. But the expectation in Dallas this year should be at least double-digit wins. Like, playoffs should be absolutely in the cards. Well, to your point, when there's not colossal needs, there are colossal expectations. Mm-hmm. That's just yeah. the way it works. And Jason Wynn, you're not group. slick, man. I know you're at home. You're like, this team is close. I should come <laughs> on back. I should come on back. Come on back. <laughs> Nine teams held their mandatory minicamps last week, but the book, 23, will begin their three-day minicamps tomorrow. That means they run through this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So if you had to pick, you got 23 to choose from, whose minicamp do you want to attend? Well, for me, I'm going with the Arizona Cardinals. I want to see see Kyler Kyler Murray Murray in person. I want to see just how comfortable he is in this Cliff Kingsbury offense. I want to see how he looks out there. I want to see his rapport with Larry Fitzgerald and the rest of the receivers, preferably Andy Isabella, obviously UMass grad. Okay. Um, just Minute right. man. just shout to out. see how these guys work and just to see Kyler Murray be comfortable. I got to see it with my own eyes. I want to see how he's doing out there. Danny, where are you going? Oh, I'm going with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to see what oh, White Post, A.B. Le'Veon. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone has been – all this this whole awesome – everyone's been quick to anoint the Cleveland Browns because of all their moves, but – this, Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers and Big Ben is going to have something to say about the AFC North. He's a heck of a coach. All right, Bill, yes, where are you going? Damian just said everybody's talking about the Browns and anointing them. How about anointing the Colts as the beast that is becoming in the mm. AFC? Quarterback mm. Andrew Luck looked fantastic last season. Plenty of cap space, a defense that was much improved, a standout offensive line. Not a ton of major holes in this roster. The AFC South has a very good set of four teams, but I do believe the Colts are the favorites this year. The Colts are definitely Nobody wants to stacked. see John Gruden and Derek Carr getting along, how if Antonio's behaving. Nah. No, no, I'm not worried about that. Guys, you're never fun. I'm not worried about that. Okay. <laughs> 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 At least I got an answer. Bye.